Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Where would you say your ambition then stems from? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Oh, is he quiet? I got Russell quiet. <laughs> Welcome to the Rhythm of Life with me, Oti Babuse, the podcast where I get to talk to some of my favorite celebrity friends and find out all about their careers and what they're most passionate about. Today, I am joined by a very funny comedian, TV daytime presenter, and all-round funny man, Mr. Russell King. I'm very, very intrigued by you. You grew up in... No, you were born in London, but you grew up in Essex. Well, it's a weird thing. It's, I mean, it's hard to explain if you're not from London. As London's so massive that people can't really get their head around it. They're like, yeah, I grew up in a city mm-hmm. too, Leeds, and I'm like, I could jog across Leeds. It could literally take you t- three hours to get across London. So what is called Enfield is technically the London Borough yeah. of Enfield, but culturally it's... It's, you, you wouldn't call it London. You, yeah. you can't do anything interesting. There's no community heartbeat. There was nothing. It's just a brown... <laughs> splodge of mud on the outskirts of London and I was equidistant from Essex, Hertfordshire and London so it's a you sort of lack yeah. identity in that sense but it's really good for stand up to constantly feel like an outsider like you don't belong so it's, Enfield is a good grounding a sort of floaty non-place <laughs> but my dad was from Essex we had a beach hut in Southend and that's where I ended up uh, but I spent a lot of my childhood South in Enfield End. yeah Southend, Woodford, Leon Sea all around there and what kind of child were you growing up? Were you, like, funny? Of course, maybe not. Were you naughty in school of learning? I was a mental, high-energy, disobedient, attention-seeking, constantly bored nightmare. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way I was made. Apparently, when I was born, the obstetrician had to check me over because my hands were pulsing back and forth. Uh, but that's the way I am. I'm still pulsing back and forth. Maybe if, you I'm were not just, a rave. Uh, you were just raving already. <laughs> I'm not just saying this. If someone had pointed me in the direction of a dance floor when I was seven or eight, there's no doubt about it. It's what I should have done. Something with my body. I can't stop moving. I'm, I'm double jointed. I can copy any move instantly. I can't retain or learn a routine, but that's where I've never practiced that. But if I'd practiced that at a younger age, I'm very bendy. I'm, I can move my hips quite what for, you know, for a boring white guy I can use my hips but I never what I never got to use that energy so it's just sort of trapped in there just all this energy but yeah. eventually I found stand-up and now it expresses itself that way but you love you you do love dance I know you talk about it all the time because your parents I both love your it. parents were I professional dancers no, my mother-in-law was. My mother-in-law was one of the original uh, Come Dancing dancers when Terry Wogan used to host Gosh. it back in the day. So she was actually the Northwest champion and used to compete against Shirley Ballas. She used to compete. I think she actually beat her uh, in a couple of competitions. And she danced with the Cliftons. Um, Mum and dad stayed with her. They were like mates. I forget what their names are now. Mr. and Mrs. Clifton. Yeah, yeah, and Judy, I think, and Kevin, something like that. Yeah. That's it. That's the show. They were all like mates together. So obviously that we got dancing in the house. My daughter is always dancing. I mean, from five months old, I used to strap it to my chest and the legs could feel the beat. Uh, 
so obviously Lindsay's a dancer as well. I just love dancing. The first one up at a wedding, I loved raving, clubbing, dancing till six a.m. I just I love moving, um, but I've never done it. I never did anything with it. It's too late now. I can't. I just can't retain anything. It takes me hours and hours to retain an eight pound. I just that, <laughs> I've just destroyed my memory. It's, it's not there. That part of my memory. When it comes to learning language or a joke, I'm like you know super fast. Yeah. Yeah, really quick or a script how did you find your way to comedy how does actually how does someone decide to become a comedian um but there's two ways really you if you speak to any stand-ups you'll get the people that were always obsessed with it always watched it as a kid nothing was going to stop me it's what i wanted to do i was always the funny one i certainly was always the funny one mm-hmm. always asking around always funny at school but um i never it was never Given to, I'm not trying to get the violin or anything, but if you go up in like a welfare estate type place here, people aren't coming to you with like theatrical and cultural pursuits for you to enjoy at the weekend. You just finish your schooling, get a job in a yeah. shop, smoke weed over the park, repeat, die, next generation. That's basically how it works. Uh, so it was something I'd never encountered. So when I freakishly start mm. doing well very, very late in my education, I'm talking 18, 19, and I started considering all these doors... Um, I never thought I could use my brain for a living and I ended up working in an ad agency and it was only there when I was 25 years old that someone said to me, you're the funniest person I've ever met. You're always cracking just Why don't you try stand up? It had never occurred to me. I'd never watched stand up. I'd never seen it. I wasn't a fan. I didn't enjoy it. I had no connection at all. So I went and watched it and thought, fuck me, I could do that better and then i just the next night i think or two nights later i tried it at an amateur night and i was like shit this is what i'm supposed to do i better get going quick so how, what, what is the first step so you do you go to a bar and you say hey i'm funny do you write material do you need a connection you got you phone you could literally do it now you could google stand-up comedy london click the first club phone it and go how do i perform at the amateur night and they'll go right every wednesday uh, we have amateurs doing two minutes each the waiting list is two months see you on see you in August or July or something mm. like that it's that simple and with stand-up you're so open to you you have to be open to people's opinions you have to be open to people mm. not liking you or not accepting you have you ever found that difficult where you're like I'm giving my best to the show but people are just not vibing with me um, not so much with audiences. Mm. Like, I don't want to show off, but I suppose it's like <laughs> you. Stick you in a pair of heels. You're not going to, you know, you are going to, you're going to set the floor on fire. No one can stop you. You'd have to be in traction, right? Yeah. So and it's the same with me. As soon as I've got a microphone, I, I can only do funny. Yeah. So I, I've got natural ability. I might not have the best material, mm. but I'm, I'm what I call a type two comedian. Funny person, not funny material. Right. So I just... If you and I were talking about what sandwich we had at the side of the stage, you went, Russell, you're on. I would probably talk to the audience about that sandwich, probably, at least for a minute. Um, so I don't really, with all my experience, touch wood, have many bad experiences on stage. The audience always vibes with me, just like the audience always moves with you. It's more of an issue when the industry or with critics or with powerful mm. people want to have their say. That's harder. That's more triggering, particularly if you've grown up with, you know, kind of overbearing dad yeah. who's going to tell you, shit, this, you'll never do that. And that sort of alpha male Neanderthal silverback dad that I had. I find it harder when some when some posh twat that went to Oxford is trying to tell me what's funny when they've never stood on stage in their life. Do they ever get to control your comedy and tell you what to do? Just the, the big the big people up there, the, the clouds? no. Never. That's It's a democratic, very democratic process. I mean, obviously, if I was coming on a, say, strictly wanted me to do like a, the terms and conditions mm-hmm. bit, but they wanted me to do a minute or a minute or two of stand up first. 
obviously that would be a conversation. It's family time. It would need to be signed mm -hmm. off. I'm doing daytime TV at the moment, as you mm -hmm. know, with you. Every word has to be signed yeah. off. I certainly do not have freedom. <laughs> I would never what, give what, you what, any freedom on any show. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, but it, when it comes to what I'm doing on stage um, in front of an audience, no one tells me what to do. It's all my own. I've never used a writer. Yes. I mean, now and again, like I'll be at the pub and one of my mates will say something funny and I'll say I'm stealing that. But I've never had a formal writing relationship yeah. with anyone. And what are the things that you're passionate about when you do do comedy? There isn't. I, I would struggle to say I do this or the other. I try to stay away from politics if I can, mm. uh, just because it doesn't interest me and it can be quite partisan because then you're sort of just another lefty. Like People are really angry at the moment that everyone on TV people is either left-wing or brown. So if, if you dare to be non-white or left-wing, you get all mm. of the right-wing trolls. Come, oh, another, another lefty on telly working for the BBC. I can't help it. Like, I just... I do want to share shit out a bit more. But if you say that on TV, you're a socialist. <laughs> uh, which, well, bear in mind, that's literally what socialism is. So it's probably right. But uh, So I tend to stay away from it. But in the last two years, it's been impossible because mm. it's Boris Johnson's in charge. He's the one that's killed 120,000 people being an idiot. Wow. I, I, find, I find it easy to make jokes about, you know, Mr. Tumble, as I call mm. him. So uh, I do, but mostly I will do observation about anything, about couples, um, about love, about life, uh, uh, about any, anything to do with, with, with mm. life, sociology, class, gender, and anything. I'm quite good on couples and what makes yeah. a couple work and what winds each other up with men and women. I'm, I'm good on that. So I have plenty of that in a show when I tour it. And if you look back at your career, because it's been so big, and we're just talking the stand-up part, um, are there any regrets that you may have had or mistakes that you made along the way? Yes, there's, a, there's definitely one that I wish. I mean, it's the thing is, I think when you come from, I don't want to overstate the case, but if you come from a very working-class background or mm -hmm. a minority background, however you want to phrase it, I can't bear all this identity politics that goes, well, he's white working-class and he's from a black family. The reality is it's the same experience. If you're not in the elite mainstream and getting your silver spoon on day one, you're, mm -hmm. not, in the, you're not in the larger conversation. No doubt about it, it's 100 times easier if you are white no doubt about it yeah. no one would dispute that well actually a lot of people would dispute it online the ones with the union jack <laughs> profile pictures and bulldogs but all i'm saying is if i come from a council estate and you come you also come from a poor family it doesn't matter whether i'm caribbean white this that or the other we've both been brought up to expect that no one's ever going to be interested in what we do that we're mm. never going to have any money that we're never going to be in the public eye that Gyal is never going to look at me. That, yeah. That's the way. I, that's just what I assumed. I'm going to have one girl. Girls aren't going to be interested in me. I'm five foot ten. I come from a council estate. So when success hits, if you do come from a poorer background where you thought no one's ever going to be interested, it goes straight to your head. You can't help it. Yeah. You love the fact that people give a shit who you are. You do want to mm. drive. Some people want to drive a show off car or have loads of jewelry around their neck. Or in my case, wear ridiculous leather trousers and have tall hair with a spike in my hair. I was wearing eyeliner. I was shagging all over the shop. I just lost it. I only lost it for about a year. But the problem is that year was on television sort of thing. And uh, yeah. so then I met the right woman. She was like, what are you doing? Stop fucking everyone. Just fuck me. And then we got married. And uh, <laughs> she, saw, she, saw, she sorted my hair out and my look. And I realised, oh, shit, I was just basically 
just showing off because I couldn't believe I had all the attention. It does. It's no deeper than that. There's no psychoanalysis other than, oh my god, someone gives a shit about this chav. Look at my hair. Look at me. I want to. I want to arrive in a limo at a premiere. I thought it was amazing. I didn't realise people were looking at that. And when you're a comic, you're not a music star. So they don't want self-aware, inauthentic people. You, the more down-to-earth you stay with your Cockney-friendly voice, the more successful you're going to be. So that did me a bit of damage because I suddenly started to look like, in the words of my friends Oti Mabusi, I was bigger than I was and I thought I was doing better than I was. And I made that exact mistake we've, in a conversation we've had in another show. I, I, was, I heard yeah. you say that and thought, that's the mistake I made and I bitterly regret yeah. it. But I only made it for six months, a year, but it did damage. But is it important sometimes to to see the moments when you are failing? Is that important to kind of reflect on? Okay, I've I've failed. I, I look like I look really bad yeah, now. Really important. The fact I can talk about it now and it's only mm. five years later. If I could have caught it earlier, it would have been better. Um, mm-hmm. But. I, the fact I can reflect and go, I dressed like a twat because I enjoyed getting attention. I mean, there's nothing. Most of us are like that. Stick a drink in any normal person and they'll want to be dancing on the table. Well, getting fame quickly is like having a drink and being dancing on a table. It's just that when you're a stand-up comedian, I didn't realise there are certain rules about making sure you don't look like you're enjoying fame. Otherwise, you're fucked. What are those rules? What are those rules? Stay down to earth. Look humble. (laughs) Don't, don't suddenly go, yes, I've, I've won the Perrier Award. Here's my tight jeans. I'm going to be on the on the red carpet with a model because I think I'm the bollocks. It's exactly like you said to me when we did that other yeah. show. I believed my own hype. I lied about my... I took five years off my age. Again, I thought, well, that's no. what everyone does. Everyone does that in showbiz. What's the big deal? The big deal is if you knock five years off your age and you're on stage telling everyone <laughs> about your, your, your realness, how you grew up in a council estate, you're real this, you're real that, but you're not being real with what you're saying. People think, oh, the material's fake. Yeah. It's probably different if you're a, if you're a dancer oh, right. or a singer. Because if you're, if you're a dancer and you knock five years off your age and you dress outrageously and love premieres, no one's going to not believe the next salsa you do or the next, yeah. or the next tango. They're just going to think, oh, Oti's a bit of a character. But if I'm suddenly in leather trousers with a radically different look, lying about my age, but I'm on stage going, my dad, my nan, I never grew up with nothing. People are like, which is the real you, bruv? And you don't oh want to lose realness when you're doing stand-up. It's, it's dangerous. And it, I nearly lost... My, my realness but I caught it at the last minute and now you know I'm mm. repping hard again by keeping it on the DL <laughs> <laughs> you're a slider and, and what is the inspiration for some of your material where does that come from and I'm not talking about where do you get the topics but I mean in your mindset what is the inspiration of you always going deep on your topics it's autobiographical mostly. So if we were all on a night out, say me and Lindsay went out with you and your fella and something funny happened or Lindsay mm-hmm. kicked off, I'll just quickly make a note on my notes on my phone, Lindsay kicking mm-hmm. off on night out with OT, and then I'll, I'll just tell that story the next night on stage, exactly as it happened. And I would listen, when it's a new routine, to what pe- what mm-hmm. the universal funny is. The four of us might have laughed all night, but what's going to be universal to uh, three, four, five thousand strangers? So I'll listen to the universal laughs and I'll collect that as a story, my funny OT story, and that would then become a routine. So it's very autobiographical. Sometimes I improvise a lot as well. I know that's not a satisfying answer. And it's, um, well, I suppose you could translate it into dance. You can improvise dance and 
I, I could put some music on and go, just go, for, and you'd be able to just go for five minutes, and it would be amazing. And everyone goes, how long did you rehearse that for? And you'd be like, I just made it up. Well, I can do that with stand-up. If you say, right, I need, I need you to do a routine about hugs coming back on June the 17th when lockdown uh, is relaxed. Go. As long as there was a camera and an audience, I'd be able to think of something. So I'm not much of a writer. I'm, I'm an Im- I would improvise the rough material, and then afterwards I'd take that away and hammer it and polish it up a bit and then maybe take it out again. But in the initial stage would just be improvised. Yeah, but a lot of that happens with dance. So you must be able to connect with that. Yeah. We'd put the yeah, music on and you would, you would go, right, that, that feels right. That doesn't feel right. You'd just make it up. And then you would practice what you had initially improvised. Yeah. And, and I think with, with dance, Similar things, process. you don't have to say anything. But with, with words, spoken word is a lot more difficult because you're thinking while you're speaking and you're seeing things happen. So you can get so easily distracted. Who were some of your idols growing up? Because your style of comedy is so different to a yeah. lot of the comedians out there. Well, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, there wasn't. As, I've, as I said, I didn't watch stand-up. wasn't part of my life. It's like someone who's, uh, imagine if you were the most talented, natural talented dancer to ever come out of South Africa, genetically. Yeah. I'm going to put that in mm-hmm. you right now. I mean, you are, let's face it, and your sister would no, be second. No, I'm not, but thank you, I'll take it. <laughs> you first, your sister second. And, uh, but, but let's just say you were, but I'm going to run an experiment. I'm going to go back to you being five-year-old and never, ever let you see anyone dancing. You can listen to as much mm. music as you like, but you're never, ever going to have seen Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, whoever you watched when you were growing up. We did it, by the way. Yeah, but whoever, you must have seen, you must have seen something. I saw yeah. nothing. So what you're getting with me is the raw, unshaped <laughs> comedy force without any craft because it wasn't part of my life. Yeah, I like I read books, a lot of books, but not till I was 18. I was just just standard, boring, working-class kid in from school, watch shit telly. Mum and Dad watch shit sitcoms. My dad now and again would put like old-school stand-ups on from the 70s that would not interest me at all. Um, it was just bypassed me completely. The only my only contact with comedy was things like um, the Young Ones, Blackadder, Mr. Bean, just telly series that I would laugh at. But the, but wow. it was just something that passed me by. So when I realised I was born to do it, that's why it's. I'm not unique because I'm clever or amazing. I'm unique through lack of training. <laughs> wow! And and now knowing what you know and knowing the people that kind of work in your industry, are there people that you look up to? Yeah, loads, but not because I feel stylistic cousinship with them or spirit. I feel like a spiritual commonality with them. It would be more that I just mm-hmm. admire their craft, which is why it's so disparate. I would love someone like Tim Vine or Stuart Francis who can just do funny one-liners. I can't do a funny one-liner to save my life. But then I would also like something very angry and intellectual like Stuart Lee, which is nothing like my comedy. I would like both. Of them. But then I've got a lot of time for Michael McIntyre and Peter Kay, people that can just make people laugh and really, really engage an audience in a family way. I probably aspire to be closer to those guys. But so far as who yeah. I draw my nourishment from, it's literally from the one line of the dim guy to the guy who does a monologue to no last for five minutes, then gets one big laugh at the end. I'll, I'll go to all of them. That is amazing. And knowing that now you know that you're the pioneer of your generation. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there and we're going to call that part one. Thank you so much, Russell, for joining me on The Rhythm of Life. Are you going to stick with me so that we can go into part two? Absolutely. I think we should. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.